0: Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world.
1: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, Brian actually isn't here today. He's on an airplane. He's flying back from a KubeCon in Berlin, so hopefully we'll have him on the next show to talk a little bit about... What's been going on over there in Berlin? Uh, If you've been watching it this week, certainly a lot of really good content and a lot of good information coming out of there this week. But, um, we have a, a, a super interesting guest today in the fact that, you know, we, we tend to have a lot of, well, you know, what I would say startups and, and vendors and a lot of people that, that are in the industry, but tend to um, have products, if you will, that they want to talk about. Uh, we're we're kind of flipping that on its head today. The, the the kind of the unicorns that have always been for us has been customers and, and real world real world practitioners. And so with that, I wanted to introduce Matthew Beckman to the podcast, um, owner of, uh, say it, is it Dryas.io? Dryas, yeah. Yes. Dryas.io. Dryas. Yep. And and XVP vp of DevOps at, at Craftsy. So, um, Hi, everybody. So I wanted to real quick go into this and say uh, you know, we first met, oh, gosh, AWS reInvent a few years ago, if I remember right, while you were still at Craftsy. Yeah. And and That's I was right. really fascinated by your journey and, and where you are now. And um, you were doing DevOps before it was cool. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so tell everyone... A little bit about your history and kind of your run up to opening your own consulting business.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, thanks. And first of all, just thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to be part of this with you guys. Um, yeah, so, so I've been uh, really a practitioner um, with a, a pretty traditional Unix and network administration background um, for about 18 years. Um, and, you know, most of that time, pretty much all of that time has been working with small companies or startups that had a software development, um, you know, practices is sort of the, the mover. So we were, we were building products for the market. Um, and you know, it, when you say I was doing DevOps for it, it was cool. You know, back then I just called it being friends with developers. Um, and, and somehow I, I kind of lucked into really good relationships and and maybe I was, uh, I'll take a little bit of credit being good at building relationships with developers, um, way back then and, and just trying to learn from them, um, and, and look at things like the, you know, the way they deployed code is, a, is sort of a pattern to deploy infrastructure. So it's something that I've been um, really fascinated in for a long time um, and and tried to help my teams, you know, get over the traditional sort of silos of ops and dev. Um, so, so you know, again, that, that history sort of spans a handful of different startups that uh, almost no one has heard of. Uh, th- those, those all went the way of not the unicorn. Um, but, but most recently and where we met, I was at um, Craftsy. And Craftsy was this fascinating, uh, very high growth, um, pretty successful uh, story uh, of a company that uh, started out trying to change the way online education worked. You know, um, way back in 2006, um, excuse me, not 2006, 2010, um, online education was terrible. You would try to take a, you know, a, a class and it was basically a video camera in the back of a lecture hall. Um, and so the founders at Craftsy tried to um, turn that on its head and, and create sort of a, an interactive learning experience where students could ask other students questions, uh, they could interact with the instructor and get direct feedback in a way that just didn't exist. So they built this really cool product uh, and tried to sell it to universities for you know sort of an academic setting, um, and and discovered that the, the universities were really excited about the idea, but their planning cycles were just going to you know. Extend well past uh, the runway that we had as a you know as a sort of bootstrap startup. Um, so they pivoted uh, along the way. They had been you know producing courses to sort of illustrate the the, uh, the way the platform worked, and then this quilting course that was selling like hotcakes. Um, and so they just you know pivoted the business and started focusing on creating educational content for for knitters and sewers and cake decorators and people who are passionate about their hobbies. Um, and and that really like led to unlocking something something big for the business. Um, you know, my role there, uh, we had a very despite sort of being. Um, usually, people don't associate uh, quilting with high technology choices. Uh, <laughs> <so> despite the <that, laughs> fair uh, enough, we had a real a real focus to try and build, um, a, you know, a technology stack and a practice that was, was very forward-looking, uh, and it was amazing. You know, One of the great things, as many people know about startups, is you get to start from scratch. You get to make every choice new. There's no legacy that you have to carry forward. Um, and so, so when I joined the team full-time um, about six years ago, uh, we, we adopted a cloud-first strategy. So we were um, uh, deeply AWS, uh, really for all elements of the technology stack. Actually, for the first two years, the only facilities we had was, uh, you know, wireless networking, and then our our, our router for our, our uplink. Everything was was either SaaS or cloud. Um, and and similarly, along with that, to adopt and, and not even adopt, but just just to build DevOps into all of the ways uh, that we handled continuous deployment, continuous delivery, uh, our relationship with developers, the way we managed on call, uh, um, and, and it was it was awesome. The, the business doubled um, many different meaningful metrics about every year. And I think, I think when I first met you was about the second year at reInvent and I had just come out of 18 months of, of doubling uh, infrastructure capacity on a six month run, which, which sounds really exciting. And and it was, um, but it's also, it's also a little tiring (laughs) It's tough to keep up (laughs) with. Sure. That's uh, a heck of a sprint. You know, it's, it's a heck of a sprint. It's, it's really great to, you know, I, I got fond of saying it's a great problem to have and it's still a problem. Yeah, fair um, enough. <laughs> so yeah, so, so that, that sort of that sort of gets me through, um, you know, through crafting and, um, you know, I guess the you know the the last part of that story and what I'm doing now is, you know, after after honestly six years of that, um, I, I decided I wanted to do something different, uh, and and so I, I've kind of kicked off this uh, consulting gig that we can talk a little bit about. But uh, you know, really, the the story for me has been, uh, like you said, kind of DevOps before anybody called it that. Uh, and an awful lot of cloud for the last six or seven years.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and so I, I have a you know a ton of questions around the the hyper growth startup areas and and AWS probably growing and ramping into their for excuse me their full portfolio all at the same time. But but I'll save some of those questions uh, for another day. But I did want to sure. ask you what was it like because at the you know. It, everyone co- thinks about the AWS and the full portfolio now and a lot of the CI/CD tools oh. and all these other things they have now but they didn't have that back then and so they- <laughs> what was it what was it like like you you bootstrapping your own tools yeah. and then how did that how compare and contrast that to what where amazon eventually kind of met you or wanted to meet you if i use that
0: yeah no that's a, it's a super Good question Aaron and, and and it's insightful you know when, when we were making these choices uh, in 2010 and 2011 um, AWS was nowhere near maturity in, in any way you want to define that uh, you know the, the, there were there were you know more outages, more interruptions. They were not transparent about the way the systems worked and the metrics. So particularly when you get up to some of the limits that exist within their their ecosystem, those things didn't exist. Um, you know EBS was so immature, you couldn't even guarantee throughput to a volume. So you, you really did a lot. We did a lot of sort of engineering in the dark and and guesswork at the way the underlying infrastructure was actually working, which. You know, you you can do, but it's tough and it's tough to feel, uh, you know, warm and fuzzy when you go to bed at night that everything's going to work the way you expect. Um, We had and we had some we had some headwinds um, just sort of in, in, I'll say, the community and and particularly with our investors who were a little dubious. You know, at some point along the way, we we did get some some um, angel and venture rounds to help uh, fund that growth. Um, but there was, uh, definitely a a perspective that these things aren't ready. Um, and and that perspective wasn't wrong. There were definitely some, some sort of dark alleys that would bite you. Um, and you know, it has been fascinating to watch that sort of grow. You know, I can think of different inflection points, um, in Amazon's maturity, you know, probably less in the volume of products they offer. Although that's, that was meaningful, but just as they dialed in, sort of, um, clear, uh, thresholds and metrics that, that teams could engineer too. And I, I mentioned the, the EBS one, because that was, that was big for us. We would continually be, you know, we would see performance problems in our application because EBS throughput just went to the floor. And and why did that happen? And we didn't expect that that would happen. So as a great example, when they released PI Ops, that was uh, the provisioned IOPS uh, on that, on that storage platform, that was, Huge for us because now we had a target we could engineer to. Um, but, you know, beyond that, I, I think a big gap um, from then to now uh, is really in the kind of the ways that you can do continuous deployment in, in things like immutable infrastructure. Um, one of the last projects, well, actually really the last project that I worked on at Craftsy was we did a, a full rewrite um, like the last 12, 15 months that I was there. Uh, and moved from sort of a Java monolith to a service-oriented, arch- microservice service-oriented architecture um, with a lot of CD in it. And, and the, the CD that, that we do now and that, you know, a lot of people do now where you're deploying, you know, six, seven, eight times a day, however many times you want really just wasn't, you know, might have been practical at some extremely high level of effort back then. Um, but certainly isn't now. Um, so it, it's been really interesting. And, you know, in those, Early days, uh, you basically followed Netflix to understand what AWS was going to do next. That was that was a, a whole other dynamic that was really fascinating to watch. Is is just the way that Netflix and Amazon, I, I don't know if I want to say influenced each other or worked together, um, but but certainly um, there was some roadmap I think uh, that was built for Netflix that really benefited you know the community at large. Um, so if I compare those early days with now, you know it, it's staggering. Um, and, and I can be a little bit of a fanboy for a w s you know I, I built a business in their in their ecosystem for six years that had the growth characteristics that i described and, and it was wonderful I really i really don 't have many bad things to say about them um, that isn 't to say that there aren 't many good cloud public cloud options today there certainly are but when you look at at the stack that a w s has and the the just the volume of products that are all pretty pretty mature um you know, I don't know if I want to say it, it's easier. It probably is in a lot of ways, but there's sort of an anti-pattern in there that it's just understanding all of all of the things that you can do uh, in making those choices. is uh, It's almost overwhelming you know, relative to certainly what it, it was six years ago. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that 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 makes sense. And to to talk about kind of your operations for a second as well, what would you say? So you mentioned earlier kind of. Real, relationships with the developers was certainly key and, yeah. and kind of DevOps before it was this concept of DevOps, but, but what would you say were your keys to success, um, that, that both you helped and is probably transferable into you helping others?
0: You know, the, that's a good, that's a really good question. Um, because it's going to make me kind of be thoughtful about that. I, I think the, it's almost a cliche now, but it, it hasn't been a cliche uh, if you go back in time that long. And, and that's just sort of being blameless, you know, adopting a, a culture of blamelessness, doing blameless postmortems after incidents. Um, you know, this was this was probably I'll say that the fundamental thing that, you know, if I was going to say the the four or five cultural tenets that we adopted as an engineering team, um, you know, First and foremost, n- nobody nobody's alone in this. If somebody's struggling, we're all going to help it. You know, just um, didn't create, tolerate, or allow any sort of you know siloing of responsibility. So that if there was a problem, uh, somebody you know kind of said, "Yeah, it's not my problem. I'm not going to deal with it." We we all jumped in to help when something was going on. And then you know the the second part of that that I, I mentioned is the blamelessness. You know, when you're when you're growing like that, and when you're building tools in a in a sort of nascent ecosystem. Amazon would probably take issue with me saying they were nascent in 2010, but, um, you know, one that's immature, like you, you don't know what you don't know. And, and what you don't know is always going to bite you. And that's just true. And, and getting to a mindset and, and helping people, you know, be focused on that as a reality and not sort of fall into a very basic human pattern of saying, well, if, you know, so-and-so did this and, and now this is causing us problems Darn that so-and-so, um, that was huge. Um, I could share any number of the kind of stories that you would expect that I'd have as an engineering you know, leader and for our engineering team, uh, incredibly long firefights, outages that lasted, you know, hours and days, um, decisions that seemed great at the time that six months later were, were falling apart, you know, all kinds of stresses on a team. Um, and we did a great job of, of hiring, you know, smart people and, and, giving them tools to succeed but i think the biggest thing that we did was was just keeping keeping everybody focused on it it's not somebody's fault um we have something we have to work on here let's make it better and 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 that's the end of the conversation
1: right yeah yeah and and as kind of as a practitioner how much do you follow the the devops community and and are there certain people or trends that you follow and, and, and what's been kind of interesting yeah. to you these days?
0: Yeah. You know, that, that's a great, uh, a great thing to talk about too, just because as a practitioner, um, you, you know, you don't, you really have to work hard to carve off time to, to follow <laughs> sure, the community, sure. to listen, listen, to a podcast, to read a blog. Um, um, you know, there's, there's not really a part of, of a, a company whose primary goal is to teach people how to make quilts that you could say, well, 20% of my time is conferences. Um, so, so that was a thing that I always kind of wished I did, uh, more, but, but definitely there's some trends that, that I've been pretty passionate about. And, um, I talked about blamelessness, um, uh, Dave's and I uh, back Dave, if I just murdered your last name, I'm sorry, uh, wrote a great book beyond blame, learning from failure and success. Um, I love him, uh, it, just because, I don't love him but I love his ideas and Uh, and what he talks about around you know just getting past blame in teams and postmortems and and sort of everything Um, you know J. Paul Reed I think is is a guy who's done some really interesting work in, in DevOps and then uh, incident management, so, so sidebar, uh, one of the projects I'm working on now is is with VictorOps, which is a incident management uh, platform. It basically does real-time handling of events and then manages you know, who's on call, what the schedule is, and escalations, and that kind of stuff. Um, and so incident management and how that has changed um, as, as sort of a, a function of DevOps adoption has been a, an area that I'm, I'm really interested in. Um, and Jay Paul Reed's done some really cool stuff there to help people think about you know, incident management—it's a life cycle, and and um, really sort of picking apart. You know, what has either been really poorly understood by devs, or has been just sort of ITSM, and, and maybe unattractive to devs. Uh, making that approachable in a in a more DevOpsy fashion.
1: Um, and, and by the way, folks, too, for, and, and, for those listening, no, we'll, uh, we'll put links, uh, in the show notes to, to, uh, some of the folks and, and like the book and everything. So we'll, we'll get those added in. Um, so just so everyone knows that you, you don't have to remember or rewind right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, good. Um, but you know, other stuff, you know, outside of sort of specific people, um, it, you know, that I'm, I'm super interested in right now. And you kind of talked about this earlier, but, but, you know, Kubernetes, Mesos, Docker, you know, those those systems, uh, and then serverless. I think that, the, you know, the, the first pile of stuff that I mentioned there really um, is, a, is sort of an interesting parallel to AWS. Just all of those, Kubernetes, Mesos, and Docker have reached, I think, a maturity now that is going to really enable people to both build interesting things and to unlock, you know, maybe step functions in the way that we're able to do application development and infrastructure. Um, I have uh, at various times been skeptical of, of all of those different approaches um, for sort of managing workloads and applications. Uh, But it's exciting to see how mature they are now and what people are starting to do. Um, So that's really interesting. And then, and then the serverless stack uh, you know, we did some very early stuff with Lambda at, you know, at at Craftsy and AWS. uh, And I mentioned that rewrite we did coming out of that. We adopted a lot more of it. Um, and I, I, I don't know, we might we might be talking, I think we're going to be talking about serverless and, and things like Lambda, you know, in the kind of odd ways in five years that we talk about the cloud today. It's just going to skip all of, you know, all of that uh, kind of ugly configuration and change management stuff that Ops has to do. Um, I, I'm super interested to see where that stuff goes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that brings up the, you know, it's a little bit of lessons learned on the fly there with that that rewrite, but but... I'll ask you this looking back. Cause you know, everyone, uh, has this idea of, okay, if I could, if I had to do it all over again, yeah. what would I have done differently? Or, <laughs> you know, and you know, that, what would you, what would you have done differently is maybe one question. And then maybe I'll follow up with, uh, you know, what would you do the same, <laughs> but let's start with differently.
0: Yeah. You know, that's a tough question. I think, I think the thing I would have done differently is I, I, and this would have been almost impossible, so it, it, it's great to be able to just, you know, muse on this. But I, I would have carved out more time to write and speak and to share the work that we were doing. You know, I, I probably was speaking at one or two conferences a year throughout that time at Craftsy. Uh, and particularly early, you know, we really were uncovering things that weren't commonly known. You couldn't find this stuff on an AWS forum. Um, and, and I wish I had been better, uh, both personally and then as a leader to the rest of the team at, you know, creating a culture of, of giving back, you know, either through blogging or, or speaking, you know, at conferences, things like that. That was just, it was hard. And I wish I would have done more of that. Um, but, but in terms of what I would have done the same, it's most of, I I don't want us to sound, um, arrogant, but I, I think that I would have kept most of the choices that we made from tooling, most of the, you know, sort of strategic technology decisions that, that we made, um, you know, really, really proved out, you know, I mentioned, we had, we had a lot of uh, sort of doubters and, and maybe headwinds to, to, to sort of fight through where we started. Um, you know, I, I would frequently say early that my goal was to have a, a facilities list business, and we weren't able to finish there. Ultimately, we, we had to do, you know, some stuff with, with on-prem, but, you know, build Doing a business in the cloud is actually sort of a, a, an expected norm today, uh, and we were able to do it, you know, six years ago. It was it was it was great, and uh, I think we did um, all of it pretty well, I guess.
1: <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, that that, that that that's that's great to hear. And yeah. what
0: would in, be in fairness, it, lots of stuff blew up, but you know, it, of, I course. Think of course, the choices, yeah. <laughs>
1: what what was so when you say? You, you tried to do everything with kind of a cloud first mentality in the end, what became the criteria of this was forced to be on on-prem resource?
0: Yeah. So really only uh, one thing it's so Craftsy's, you know, business required, uh, you know, video editing. We, we were creating two and sometimes three or four hour high definition, you know, instructor led, um, videos, uh, and nonlinear editing is not a great workload for the cloud. Trans- transcoding uh, and encoding and things like that are ideal, and we used you know um, cloud resources for that. We used a-, a partner for encoding.com, and then eventually Amazon's Elastic Transcoder. But the actual act of people doing you know, uh, video editing and, in, um, you know, some of the NLE tools, you just couldn't do that in the cloud. And and we actually tried, we tried to do pushing remote desktops and all kinds of stuff. And it was, it was, none of it was anywhere near as efficient as an on-prem sand with fiber wired into every video editors, uh, desktop. Um, so that was a, that was just a, and that was the right decision. I've never really questioned whether we should have tried to make that fit in the cloud. Um, because it was such an important part of our business, uh, and it's just massively more you know, fast, reliable, and everything, having it on-prem. But but other than that, everything else we did was either a SaaS. I mean, certainly there's plenty of SaaS um, of applications that we use, but uh, everything else we we built out um, entirely in, in the cloud.
1: Nice. Okay. And and we have a lot of listeners that that... Well, we tend to get at a lot of newer listeners, but also a lot of listeners starting out. And if you would combine kind of the over the years, as well as a little bit of that put on the the future hat for a second, how would you recommend folks get started in this space, whether it's, um, you know, tools to go research or ideas or cultural principles What are, what is your kind of base recommendations to, to somebody new these days?
0: Yeah, that's, um, I I think that the, the things that I, you know, that, that like I blog about in my, in my work with Victor OMS and that, and that I try to tell everybody who asks a question like that, um, you know, start small and adopt as a, as a first principle that you're your DevOps practice or your cloud practice is going to be iterative. There's going to be a lot of failures. There's going to be a lot of opportunity to blame that you're not going to do. You don't, you don't get a blame, um, and, and find a way, uh, that makes sense for your team to, to adopt some new practice or some new tool. You know, and we could talk a lot about this, whether you do a skunk works or, or just carve off a project to try and be more DevOpsy or more cloudy, um, whatever you're going to start with start small and expect to iterate on it don't don't create some huge goal to be completely adopted of some new tool or some new practice in 6 months that's i mean it's okay to have a goal and you should have one to work towards but you know on the ground it's it's every week every iteration we're spending is continuously improving the the process and the practice of of what we're doing and i think it's it's frequent that the teams or people kind of get wrapped up in, oh, you know, if we just start using this tool, you know, then we're DevOps. Or oh, if we, you know, make this cloud choice, then our infrastructure is better. And and that's partly true. But if you aren't focused on the getting better every iteration part of it, um, you're not you're not really sort of fundamentally changing the way your team operates. Um, and so that's that, that's sort of a, a big like I said, that's a first principle if, if you're going to get into any of this is is continuous improvement which sort of requires, you know, in, in incident management language, blameless postmortems and in, in agile language, you know, blameless and, and objective retros. Um, you got to you know kind of take your soul out every now and then and look at it and make sure what you're doing is working. And if it isn't, be okay with changing it um, and having sort of reasonable expectations to, to iterate into getting better over a long time frame. Um, I think the other thing I might counsel people to, to be thoughtful of is, you know, try and find something that's nearby your team's stack or is adjacent to your culture or existing tools. Maybe it's your your existing tools you're just going to make better. I think a lot of times people who are just starting out or even people who have been on this journey for a while, um, you know, go to a conference or listen to a webinar or or a podcast and, you know, who's presenting as a unicorn? Um, And unicorn, either because they've invested so much engineering effort into what they're talking about, that they've, they've really unlocked something transformational. Or Unicorn, because they have you know, un- unlimited growth and funding, and they can make all kinds of crazy choices, and it doesn't really matter. Um, and, and those kind of things can be really inspirational. But then you come back to the office, and you try to you know, fit the pattern of, of 10 deployments a day onto your actual, we're getting code out once every two weeks. And, and the gap is just too massive, and people can be frustrated. Frustrated and sort of walk away from it. So, you know, I, I think if you can find resources, um, you know, or people within your network, or, or even just adjacent technologies that, that are easier for you to see your way into, will make that uh, a lot better. Hopefully, that that made sense. But yeah, that, that, those are the things that I try to help people.
1: Oh, it, it makes perfect on. sense, and, and kind of some comments on that too. if you, you can almost just extrapolate this idea of um, minimum viable product and iterate. Um, Yes. Just into so many different areas of life. And then let me kind of explain what I mean by that. Um, uh, there is the concept of, you know, hardware products, there's the concept of software products, there's the concept of running a startup this way, there's a concept of, you know, doing releases this way, there's, it, this can apply to so many different things. And, uh, along those lines, um, you know, I, it's no secret, I work for a decently large infrastructure vendor now. And, and, and we're, you know, we generate a lot of content internally. And, and, it's funny with uh, you know, coming from a startup that is has been acquired by a larger company. Uh, you know, there are so many times when when we being you know my old company, we still think that way and we still develop, you know anything that way, a, a document, a PowerPoint, um, the next release of our code, the next anything. There, there's been this shift over the last couple years of workflow of any project really going on this let's do the you know minimum viable project and iterate on it over time as well so that it isn't um all this wasted time of of in between something that maybe is off the mark or misses or needs to pivot or it's really fascinating to see that idea as a whole just be embraced across our entire industry
0: no and and it's and and i think it's going to I mean it's already become transformational for the industry Aaron and that's it's been so exciting um, you know for me personally to have to have gotten to witness this and you know having worked with startups most of my career, this has just seemed like the default way of doing things is you know we're, we don't have the time or the resources to really plan this out. Let's kind of get an idea out there and see if it works. Um, which, you know, is antithetical at, at, at really big scale and really big teams. But the fact that they're able to adopt that, I think, is really is just that it's making making teams better, it's making products better. Uh, and it, it's exciting to see. It really is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we're, we're kind of running out of time here. I'll ask you one last question and we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, yeah. What 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 made you ultimately decide to leave your role at, at Craftsy and, and kind of hang out your own signpost, if you will?
0: Yeah, no, uh, it's a fun answer. Um, I have kids. Uh, My my kids are uh, almost seven and four. Um, And as you can guess, the life of a startup technologist is super exciting, but it doesn't allow an awful lot of time and flexibility uh, for taekwondo and and basketball and things like that. And so um, first and foremost, I wanted to be able to spend more time with the family. And and I've really had a lot of fun. I volunteer in my children's schools. Uh, we, We just launched a Sphero a STEM program at my son's elementary. A sphere of these little robots that you can program. Totally uh, fun, and you should check those out. Um, so I, I wanted to make just a, a lifestyle choice that gave, gave me more time to do things like that. But you know, the second part is, is is I kind of you know, in all humility, reflect on the experience that I was able to acquire at Craftsy, having built uh you know built an entire business and stack in, in these in these uh, both these ways you know via DevOps and these tools via cloud. Um, And realize that I think it can be, you know, pretty useful to to a lot of teams that are trying to figure this stuff out. Um, So so that's sort of what I'm I'm experimenting with right now is how useful can I be to teams who are trying to uh, move forward either with a DevOps practice uh, or a cloud strategy or an incident management practice. Um, And, you know, honestly, in a way, give back uh, in the way that I think I I didn't do a great job of when I was with Craftsy and, and share some of these ideas and processes um, with a wider audience.
1: oh ah, yeah, that, that's, that's fantastic. Great. Well, and, and so we will quick plug, um, dryas.io, D-R-Y-A-S.io and, uh, links will be in the show notes as well. Um, Matthew, where other than that, where else can other, uh, folks kind of follow you, find out what's going on and, and reach out to you if they want to, uh, ask you more questions.
0: Yeah, sure. So, so I'm, um, my name, uh, uh, everywhere on LinkedIn at Matthew Beckman on Twitter. Uh, I, a lot of the content that I'm writing right now is, is with Victor ops on their blog. I'd really encourage you to check that out if, if incident management is something that's interesting to you and how you guys manage, how anybody manages on call and alerting. Um, so I got a lot of content there. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have side conversations with folks all the time. So, so ping me and, and see if I can be helpful to you. Fantastic.
1: All right. So Matthew, um, on behalf of Brian, who will be back next year, uh, next year, next, next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit that out as well. So let me start over there. Um, so Matthew, on, on behalf of Brian, who will be back next week. Um, thank you very much uh, for your time this week. And, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll uh, see you next week.